welcome to the Daily Reprieve, where we provide essays, speaker meetings, workshops, and conferences in podcast format. We are an ad-free podcast. If you enjoy listening, please help us be self-supporting by going to donate.thedailyreprieve.com and drop a dollar or two into the virtual basket. Please consider donating monthly by clicking the Donate Monthly button. However, one-time donations are always welcome. Just click the Donate Now button. Now, without further ado, this episode of The Daily Reprieve. Hi, my name is uh, Roy, and I'm a sexaholic. Hi, Roy. And I'm standing here in the West L.A. Saturday night meeting, and I'm talking to a, a, a large group of, of sex drunks, and... Um, this is where the first meeting of Sexaholics Anonymous, I think in the world, ever took place right in this very room. January 25th, 1981. And um, if this tape works out, I'll be uh, also uh, talking to the International Convention, and I greet you folks. I wish I could be there. I wish Iris could be with me. And... Uh, this chorus of recovery theme that you have is just a marvelous idea because in the Maryland Convention we were uh, looking at the depths of the problem. And now six months later in New Jersey, uh, I understand you have solicited stories from every aspect of real recovery in SA and it turned it into a chorus of recovery. And uh, that, that's, that's really good news, because as difficult as this is, uh, God can do and is doing for us what we cannot do for ourselves. So, uh, you know, thinking about the chorus of recovery, you've asked the comments on it. Every chorus starts with one note. And um, then there's another note and another note, sometimes a melody, sometimes a chord, but it always starts with one note. And so what I'd like to do is kind of trace... The steps, the, vo- the, the, the voices of the chorus that brought me here and that brought us here and the program here. So it'll be kind of a semi-personal, semi-historical reprise. So bear with me and we'll try to uh, uh, see what we can do here. I go back to April 24th, 1974, when I walked into the doors of Alcoholics Anonymous for the first time. There was a man at the door, his name was Dick. And he handed me a AA brochure, shook my hand, and offered me a seat. Um, that was the beginning where I found, for the first time in my life, where I knew I belonged, because they were leading with their weakness. And I always thought we had to lead with our strength. Uh, the next thing that I 
remember doing was after about after a few months of sobriety, not even knowing what happened, I had been separated from my wife. Uh, I met a man named Jim R. And here was somebody in Alcoholics Anonymous who knew what I was and who knew where I came from. He had been a homosexual hustler in the streets of Los Angeles and uh, had lost a family. And uh, by the time I met him, he was four years sober in AA, clean and sober from drugs and alcohol, had a new family and two little girls, two beautiful little daughters. Well, this man and I, uh, here was somebody who understood. He was my first sponsor, Jim R. He's dead. So when we look at a chorus of recovery, we find not all notes keep singing. They found him hanging at the off-ramp of Tapo Street. And what had happened was he 13th stepped a newcomer woman in Alcoholics Anonymous. 13th step means having a sexual affair with a newcomer. And it, that took him out of his marriage. It took him back into drugs. It took, it took him back into everything. And the last time I saw him, he told me he was speaking with the devil. And uh, then the, the, the next I heard, but this man saved my life. He was at the door. This man, I was the only one who went to his funeral or who spoke at his funeral, and I couldn't stop weeping. And all the devastation of his life was there uh, in this small I little was, funeral parlor because he was there at the door. The next was Carl J., my sponsor. He died a quiet, sober death recently. But thank God he was the one I started me through the steps, go to his house every week, and uh, and do it. Then the next uh, the, the next person at the door was Kevin B. Now he was the guy. He was by. He was a high school dropout. I was a college graduate. We had nothing in common. Nothing in common. Uh, his no religious background and my religious background. But anyhow, he was the one I could pick up the phone and call. And he was my life connection. Where an impossible situation, I, the first time, I never forget the first time I called him, uh, I said, there she is, she just walked in, a new secretary, micro miniskirt, high heels, she's got it on a platter, and I'm going to pieces inside. <laughs> and uh, I, he was there on the other end of the phone, he says, yeah, and I went there, Ralph, so they're on the street there. So we, 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 we just, the, the honesty, uh, was what saved us both. We didn't uh, have sponsors. We didn't sponsor each other. But that was, he was there. He was there. He was there. Then there was the first meeting, pseudo meeting of SA, which happened in James Allen's office. James Allen was there, Frank H., Carl, and myself. We were, we had the AA Big Book. And we were the, we were the, we were the sexaholics in AA in that one meeting in Simi Valley. That um, that identified it took it took us it took us a while to get to know each other, and um, but but we did, and uh, we met to uh, kind of hey you know this is a new program that was the meeting where James Allen that's his middle name that's not his last name James Allen W where he said hey after that first meeting we were so joyous that. We recognized we were honest with, with with our with our sexual stuff, 
And he says, we ought to call this Lustaholics Anonymous. Well, of course, uh, later on, it never got called that. It got called Sexaholics Anonymous. But listen to that, that term. I mean, it, it's instructive where we're going today. Well, it was the door to his office that was open. And that was great. The next, uh, the next one standing at the door, most of you have heard about, Clancy I. Clancy I, the great West Coast AA sponsor. And I decided uh, after a slip after a year and a half that I needed tough direction. I never had a father, uh, never, you know, uh, had taken instruction from a man, and uh, I needed a sponsor. So for a year, uh, he told, I'd pick up the phone, and after 15 seconds, he'd read the situation intuitively, and he'd say, and then he'd give me an action and hang up without saying goodbye. That man was at the door. I couldn't stand him. Uh, but, 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 but I, I followed direction. And he was at the door. The next man at the door was Chuck C., his sponsor. And, uh, the people that I had been dealing with in AA that identified who were, wanted to start some kind of a fellowship for sexaholics had gone by the wayside and I was left alone. So I went to Chuck C. and I said, here's the deal. I gotta find my people. And, uh, but I, I don't have anybody. And, and Chuck C. Uh, gave me about four hours of his time in Laguna Beach and uh, I'm just sitting there with my mouth open and he's giving me the best of his advice and wisdom and he says, don't worry, God is your, sp- God is your partner. And if it hadn't been for that, you and I would not be here today because I needed that direction. He was at the door of his own home. Now, um, so that, that brings us to just before SA, but what about the chorus of recovery that started Alcoholics Anonymous? Because our program is the AA program. What about that chorus of recovery? Let me just briefly, off the top of my head, recap some information. In 1917, a new Episcopal clergyman by the name of, of, of Sam Shoemaker was in China trying to be a missionary and failing miserably. He met Frank Buchanan, who was also a clergyman, Frank Buckman, I'm sorry, who was also a clergyman, and uh, who was the founder of the Oxford Group. And when... Sam met him accidentally, and they got to knowing each other. Uh, Frank Buckman challenged Sam Shoemaker with the absolutes, the Oxford group, which was the precursor to AA in New York City and Akron. The Oxford group believed in, among other things, four absolute, absolute honesty, purity, unselfishness, and love. And if your decisions and your manner of life conform to those you're probably on the right track. But that was just one of their tenets. So he challenged Reverend Shoemaker with this. Now, Shoemaker took those four absolutes and for some reason did his did an inventory of his life 
based on those absolutes. He was devastated. He had nothing. And at the time, that made him so powerless. That gave him the awareness that he surrendered his life to God. And the key word in his life and in his whole life of Sam Shoemaker was self-surrender. That's where surrender got started. What I'm leading up to is the principles of our program. The principles of the AA program. There's a, there's, there are no, there are people, there are notes in that chorus of recovery one at a time. Now what happens? In Sam Shoemaker's Oxford group in New York, a guy named Eby, a hopeless drunk, comes in and gets sober. He happens to be a friend of Bill W. Bill W. is last gasping, totally lost. One day he gets a call from him. E.B. comes over, and it turns out that E.B. sponsors Bill into sobriety. And he Bill starts going to the Oxford group. So it was Frank Buckman and Sam Shoemaker and E.B. and now Bill Wilson. And then we have Dr. Bob. When Bill goes to Akron and he can't stay sober, He's going to relapse. He's in the Mayflower Hotel. Nothing's working for Bill. He's six months sober from alcohol, which is a miracle. He calls ten churches and one answers. He makes a connection and sees Bob. And Bob was a hopeless drunk, but he was there. And he got sober. That's how, that's how AA got started. That's how AA got started. So... It's a marvelous journey. It's a marvelous chorus. And we're just a small part of that chorus in Sexholics Anonymous. We're not unique. We're part of this chorus. I wish I would have had the, uh, the foresight to call AA Central Office and see how many organizations now have got permission to use the, the steps in the anonymous thing. Probably in uh, 500 at least. I mean, there are just incredible number of fellowships, uh, offshoots from this. Good, bad, or indifferent, whatever. It, it, there's something happening. And it's the chorus of recovery. A chorus of recovery with some bad notes and some stuff in there that, 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 uh, but, but that's the way it goes. And, uh, so, we're being called to a harmony that is here, and it's it's our doing. Now, um, I'd like to read a short piece, a poem that Sam Shoemaker wrote, and I'd like to close with this. Is called, I Stand by the Door. By the way, uh, the, uh, at, during the 1955 St. Louis Convention, 20 years after AA was born, where Bill W. and Dr. Bob turned the fellowship over to the fellowship, turned the organization over to the fellowship, one of the keynote speakers, one of the two keynote speakers in that convention was Reverend Sam Shoemaker. I urge all of you to go to AA Comes of Age, the AA book, AA Comes of Age, and read uh, the transcript of Sam Shoemaker's talk to the fellowship. Uh, he, it, Sam Shoemaker uh, 
apparently was not an alcoholic, but he sure sounded like one. And he was accused by some of the people in St. Louis, he talks about that in his talk, about being an alcoholic. And he said that was the greatest compliment he ever had. Uh, an amazing man. And Bill, uh, in that same talk, gives credit to Sam Shoemaker. Uh, a little belated, I think, but credit, full credit for the principles of the program. Now, I stand by the door is a, is a, is a, some blank verse written by Sam Shoemaker. And I want to close with this. And especially for those, there will be probably five, six hundred people in New Jersey that are hearing this, that when it all boils down to, what it all boils down to is one person to another, one drunk talking to another, one person standing at that door. And here we're going to hear it from a man who, whose life, and work uh, was so influential of why we are here today. I Stand by the Door by Sam Shoemaker. I stand by the door. I neither go too far in nor stay too far out. The door is the most important door in the world. It's the door through which people walk when they find God. There's no use my going way inside and staying there when so many are still outside and they, as much as I, crave to know where the door is. All that so many ever find is only the wall where a door ought to be. They creep along the wall like blind people with outstretched groping hands, feeling for a door, knowing there must be a door, yet they never find it. So, I stand by the door. The most tremendous thing in the world is for people to find that door, the door to God. The most important thing any person can do is to take hold of one of those blind groping hands, put it on the latch, the latch that only clicks and opens to the person's own touch. People die outside that door as starving beggars die on cold nights in cruel cities in the dead of winter, die for want of what is within their grasp. They live on the other side of it because they have not found it. Nothing else matters compared to helping them find it and open it and walk in and find him. So I stand by the door. Sometimes I take a deeper look in, sometimes venture a little farther, but my place seems closer to the opening, so I stand by the door. There's another reason why I stand there. Some people get partway in and become afraid, lest God and the zeal of his house devour them. For God is so very great and asks all of us. And these people feel a cosmic claustrophobia. They want to get out. Let me out, they cry. And the people way inside only terrify them more. Somebody must be by the door to tell them that they're spoiled for the old life, that they've seen too much, once taste God and nothing but God will do anymore. Somebody must be watching for the frightened who seek to sneak out just where they came in and tell them how much better it is inside. The people too far in, preoccupied with the wonder of it all, 
don't see how near these are to leaving, somebody must watch for those who have entered the door but would like to run away. So for them too, I stand by the door. I admire the people who go way in, but I wish they'd not forget how it was before they got in. Then they'd be able to help the people who have not yet even found the door or the people who want to run away again from God. You can go in too deeply and stay in too long and forget the people outside the door. As for me, I shall take my old accustomed place near enough to God to hear it and know he's there, not so far from people as not to hear them, and remember they are there too. Where? Outside the door. Thousands. Millions. But more important for me, one of them. Two of them. Ten. Whose hands I am intended to put on the latch. So I shall stand by the door and wait for those who seek it. I'd rather be a doorkeeper. So I stand by the door. Thank you and may God bless our fellowship. I would like to thank you for listening to this episode of The Daily Reprieve, the best source for experience, strength, and hope for SA members. Please subscribe to this podcast to be alerted of new episodes. Please show your support by donating to The Daily Reprieve by going to donate.thedailyreprieve.com and choosing either monthly donations or a one-time donation by clicking Donate Now. Thank you for listening and stay tuned for the next episode of The Daily Reprieve.